everything you do, every project you do is like a pearl. And your only job in this moment is to thread the thread through that pearl. Mm -hmm. You don't have to understand how it all fits. But at some point later on in your life, you're going to take the two ends of those strings and you're going to put them together and you're going to have the most beautiful necklace. What community's mission is, is to help that being remember what their original purpose is. Interesting. And how do they do that? Mm -hmm. They watch them closely. They see what they're interested in, what lights up their eyes, what they're good at. And they tell them, they encourage them to keep doing that because there must be some reason that there is that passion. Mm -hmm. And often that passion is so closely tied to their original purpose. Hello, and welcome back to the Bigger Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Zhao. And today, I'm very lucky to be joined by the multifaceted founder of organization Redther Commons, former actor, uh, teacher of genealogy, playwright, digital archivist, <laughs> and also a librarian here at our school, NMH, Julie Rozier. Welcome yeah. to the studio. Thank you. It's really so, good to be here. Yeah. I'm just going to throw a first question at you. So okay. what is your why and why did you start the organization um, Red Thread Commons and mac for eep Okay. So, um, yeah, I, first of all, I have to explain both of what those things mean. Yeah, um, of course. And, yeah, I'll start with Red Thread Commons. Um, that wasn't always its name, first mm -hmm. of all. Um, it's coming up on its 19th birthday. Wow, 19 years. That's May insane. 6th. Um, <laughs> And I was actually um, thinking about applying for graduate school at the time. Okay. I was living in Brooklyn. Okay. 23 years old. Okay. And um, I had just gone to the University of Michigan and gotten my degree in history and Spanish. Okay. So coming out of that, um, I thought that one thing that was really important to me was uh -huh. building community. Yeah. And so, and I grew up in Detroit. Um, as a white person in a mostly black community. Yeah. Um, and I recognized certain dynamics that were happening in that inner city environment yeah. that I was really curious about. Yeah. And I saw how community formed, but uh -huh. also how people were excluded from community mm -hmm. and the harm that that caused, mm -hmm. the harm that segregation causes yeah. in this country. Of course. And so I had done a lot of thinking about that, and I wanted to be someone who was building community. Building community. And I, I talked to people, I'm like, what kind of career do you get that you can do this kind of thing? Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, you could get a job in a nonprofit, mm -hmm. or you could kind of, um, there's something called city planning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, yeah, I want a city <laughs> plan, like I want to you know yeah. community development of course and so i was writing um a personal statement for graduate school mm -hmm. to become a city planner mm -hmm. and it was supposed to be one page long so i'm like mm -hmm. this is gonna be easy yeah. you know and then i started writing why did i want to be a city planner mm -hmm. and about 42 pages later mm -hmm. i'm like mm -hmm. writing my story mm -hmm. and trying to figure out all these parts of myself and mm -hmm. what i found was that I was really interested in the community that forms between people and relationships and connections that get built mm -hmm. and how and why they form in one context and they don't form in another context. So I decided not to actually apply for that program. Mm -hmm. And I thought back about my experience of community growing up in Detroit mm -hmm. and 
two things came to mind. Okay. Um, my experience in church as a kid. Yeah. Catholic church. Okay. And then also my experience as a actor, like oh, you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. said former actor. I still consider myself an actor. I'm still trying to be on Broadway one day. So oh, really? Keeping the dream alive. <laughs> I mean, we're talking <laughs> big picture are, here, wow. right? That, that's indeed the bigger picture. <laughs> my um, bad on that then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I found that those experiences, both in church and as an actor in a theater company, a youth theater company, uh-huh. were very strong examples of community that I had felt. Yeah. And I thought, what if I were to build a company that could help people tell their own stories on stage? Love that, yeah. And connect to the people in that group who are telling the story, Mm -hmm. but be a little incubator for the larger community to come and witness their own stories being told on stage through these writer performers. And I thought of these folks as not trained actors, Mm -hmm. um, but or writers, they don't necessarily have to think of themselves as writers, but I think everyone has a story to tell. Mm-hmm. And I called them citizen artists. So I would bring people together and then we would develop and form a performance piece together. Mm-hmm. And um, I called it the Story Owners Collective at mm-hmm. first. I was mm-hmm. in Detroit and I was putting out audition notices. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you find people to do this, yeah. right? <laughs> um, and so I'm like, okay, um, do you want to tell your story? Like, are, do you journal a lot? Yeah. Do you think of the like larger connections in yeah. life and spiritual meaning? <laughs> and um, so I didn't know what to call it, but mm-hmm. I ended up, we, we, we came together. There were four of us in that original ensemble. Okay. And, um, and we put our stories together. And, mm-hmm. and it didn't match what my vision was mm-hmm. originally, but mm-hmm. it was every person was contributing to right. what it became. Right. Um, and we needed a title for the show. Mm-hmm. And I had heard of this concept called the Red Thread mm-hmm. before. And... Um, so what does red thread mean? Yeah, mm. it's actually it shows up in mythology all over the world. Hmm. Um, so the the part that I kind of most related to mm-hmm. comes from Chinese mythology. Interesting. Yeah, okay. and it it is said that there is a red thread of destiny that connects, connects us all. all. Yeah. and though it may stretch or tangle, it will never break. Mm. And so I and and so I was thinking, how can I use story to make that invisible red thread visible? Of destiny connecting all of us. That yeah. Is fascinating. And so mm-hmm. I think of it as this like underlying web mm-hmm. of connection of humanity that we are connected by our very human existence. Interesting. And that that connection is unbreakable, even though there are so many things that separate us and that do. Um, push us to see ourselves as different from one another. Um, and so, but I thought if we can tell our stories and mm-hmm. this kind of open a window into our personal worlds, yeah. we we'll actually see how connected we are. That's yeah. That's very interesting. I've, I mean, first of all, that's, that's a wonderful thing that you started and, and hearing about the why mm-hmm. of this, this organization just suddenly like gives us so much more power and meaning mm, thank you um, 
and there's a there's like a few things that that you mentioned that was really interesting well okay. um we can go one by one but first of all you mentioned this importance of community yes and then this need to sort of connect us all and your approach is to connect us by stories yes so why do you think stories can connect people um i think that when we tell our stories mm-hmm. first of all we have to find the pieces like you're right now you're asking yeah. me to tell my story basically yeah. so i have to basically. look back in my life mm-hmm. and pick out those moments that form mm-hmm. the story yeah but often when you do that sequencing mm-hmm. of events and the twists and turns that happen mm-hmm. you will arrive at some sort of insight or mm-hmm. some sort of reason mm-hmm. for all of your actions that may have felt more meaningless as they were actually happening mm-hmm. but when you look back and reflect you can see the meaning mm-hmm. and and so storytellers from across time right mm-hmm. have been doing this mm-hmm. and often the storytellers were also the medicine people mm-hmm. they're the ones that are kind of shaping how the culture thinks about itself mm-hmm. and offering that back to the people mm-hmm. as medicine as healing to say mm-hmm. i know it's hard out there living mm-hmm. in this world mm-hmm. and your your daily struggles mm-hmm. but you're living towards something and there is meaning mm-hmm. and your ancestors did it mm-hmm. and you're doing it and your descendants will do it mm-hmm. and so can you then shape your life to contribute in a positive way Mm. Um and I think stories guide us. Mm. Right? In mythology, every religion is based around mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. that take on really sacred meaning mm-hmm. and they they point us mm-hmm. towards values and morals that kind of act as a compass. Yeah. But when you drill down, they're really stories. Um and and they have power. So that's a really interesting point that you just mentioned right there about how stories guide us and then how it sort of helps us find meanings. Do you think every person has a meaning in life and they're searching for it? Yes. Mm. Um and I actually um I don't think that our culture believes that. Mm-hmm. I think they see some people's stories as more important. Mm-hmm. And um for instance in Hollywood they highlight certain stories certain stories are told and retold yeah 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 um certain people get their stories yeah um i, I as you know i work in archives here yeah. and there are certain stories that we say oh those are really important ones mm-hmm. and these ones no we can we can get rid of these papers over yeah. here um but for me with red thread and what i'm trying to point to mm-hmm. is that each life is important Mm-hmm. and significant. Mm-hmm. Um and I do believe mm-hmm. that we were placed on this earth for a reason. Mm. And um different people, different mentors of mine have kind of guided me towards that. Mm-hmm. Um there's a phrase called original purpose mm-hmm. that I I gravitate towards. Um there's someone named Maladoma Somme mm-hmm. who um is from African heritage from Burkina Faso originally mm-hmm. um but came to the west to the Boston area had multiple degrees that he got there but his mission he felt like was to bring the 
tribal culture that he experienced in his village in Africa Mm -hmm. to the Western countries that were doing a lot of the colonizing Mm -hmm. and trying to kind of exert a more supremacist culture over other cultures Mm -hmm. and, and, um, and erase a lot of the indigenous, um, cultures that existed there already. Mm -hmm. And so he was kind of a bridge builder. And um, he talks about in one of his books that in his culture, um, when someone gets pregnant, they're they're like, oh my gosh, there's a new soul coming. Mm -hmm. And the way that that new soul enters the body Mm -hmm. is they have to go to um, a council on the other side of ancestors or mm-hmm. high spiritual yeah. beings and with a proposal. So think about like your thesis proposal or something, okay. you know, you're like, I'm going to do this thing. Mm-hmm. But the soul says, I'm going into this world to do this thing. And then the council's like, and eh, no, we already got someone doing that. Like go back, do some revisions, oh, okay. bring us a second draft. Mm-hmm. And then they bring it and they're like, oh yes, we actually really need somebody in this world. We're going to put you in this family and we're going to send you through. You're going mm-hmm. into a body. And so on the other side in the, in the um, earthly realm, mm-hmm. then um, when someone gets pregnant and is they're, um, they're expecting a baby, a medicine person comes to the bedside and says, um, and helps define divine mm-hmm. what this being's purpose is. Mm-hmm. And as that child is born and grows up, they get further away from what their original plan was, what their purpose was. Mm-hmm. They remember it as an infant, but as they grow, they tend to forget. Yeah. And so he says what community's mission is, is to help that being remember what their original purpose is. Interesting. And how do they do that? Mm-hmm. They watch them closely they see what they're interested in, what lights up their eyes, what they're good at. And they tell them, they encourage them to keep doing that because there must be some reason that there is that passion. Mm-hmm. And often that passion is so closely tied to their original purpose. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that red thread is a connecting principle, but it's, I also think of it as a red thread of passion that runs through your life. Mm. And as you get closer to it, you feel it. And sometimes Mm. it's scary and it's like, oh, no, I can't actually follow that. Mm -hmm. For me, that was acting. I can't actually (laughs) be an actor because that's going to be a life of poverty and rejection (laughs) and I'm never going to make it. You know, Mm. there's a big risk there. Self-doubt. Exactly. But that's the small, small part of our self talking. Mm -hmm. But the big self the very mm. powerful self that is connected to original purpose. If you can actually put your trust in that and follow through and walk through those um, trials and tribulations that are going to come along when you are on that path, then that's when you're going to make significant um, impact in your world because it is exactly what you can do and no one else can do it. That is wow. <laughs> wow <laughs> big ideas well said well said well put that is that, that is fascinating i mean i think about this a lot too and i totally agree with you i i, I mean while you were describing i was thinking i haven't read that mythology or mm-hmm. but i was thinking of this movie called soul it's made by disney it's awesome. uh 2020 it, it was it's pretty really interesting it's it, exactly what you described about it's like every person every every soul 
like th- it's literally so like every yes. soul comes into this world with with they have to light up their heart yeah which is to find their purpose that's right and then they come and but the passion lights up your heart. The passion right? lights up your heart. Mm-hmm. But then, the, actually, I think the theme of the movie isn't that just to find that one passion. Mm. It's it's actually a multitude of things. Mm. It's actually not only like that one thing that you do. Maybe everyone needs that one. The like the point of the movie is like everyone needs that one thing. Mm-hmm. But it's not only that one thing. You still have yeah. like other things. Yeah, and which um, is like appreciating life, like relationships, like you know maybe some other things that that can inspire you but yeah seeing the beauty in every moment like yeah. this moment of talking to you yeah and and that makes a hope because if if it's just one thing that you do like for example acting mm-hmm. there are a million actors mm-hmm. a billion actors probably uh, not mm. not a billion <laughs> a million okay million there are a billion who uh, okay, got million. rejected from acting <laughs> <laughs> that's true but like what makes one actor what makes brad pitt different than um you know like sorry my mind is bad yeah like yeah because you can't remember their name for Mm -hmm. example like every actor is different yes and they're different because they're unique with their different styles and personalities and that's developed through because each person is slightly different yes but hollywood does like a type yeah right and so they choose based on ideals around beauty Mm-hmm. and what's going to sell what's going to be attractive mm-hmm. to people mm-hmm. um they choose based on who has power in this culture mm-hmm. and so who people are going to want to hear stories about mm-hmm. um so anyway while they while they are different i feel like in hollywood there are a lot of people that look very similar who mm-hmm. get this the big roles mm-hmm. um but yeah mm-hmm. um there was something that you said about the multitude of mm-hmm. things, which I think relates to my story and to your confusion with like, how many things do you do? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and uh, a mentor, a theater mentor of mine, mm-hmm. um, I was in the midst of a red thread production mm-hmm. in Alaska mm-hmm. of all places mm-hmm. that was going <laughs> very poorly. Mm-hmm. I was very disappointed. Uh, yeah. I put so much energy into it and I just felt like, it's falling apart. It's not going to happen. I don't know what I'm doing here mm-hmm. in Alaska. Mm-hmm. I left um, Brooklyn and I had just done a production in Manhattan, which was like the most fully realized version of in a black box theater in Manhattan, a sold out mm-hmm. crowd. And then here I am in Alaska trying to recover for, from pushing myself fo- so far by yeah. doing that in mm-hmm. New York City. Um but I was just feeling so lost and like I, I was off of my path. Mm-hmm. And he told me this, um, this mentor of mine, he said, you're everything you do, every project you do is like a pearl. And your only job in this moment is to thread the thread through that pearl. Mm-hmm. You don't have to understand how it all fits, but at some point later on in your life, you're going to take the two ends of those strings and you're going to put them together and you're going to have the most beautiful necklace. And, and so I do think that, I mean, you might call that a red thread that's going mm-hmm. through those. Yeah. <laughs> that's the connection Ow. right there. <laughs> um, that's a good one. But I, um, I know that you have a question for me that you're really interested in why I'm here. Yeah. In Northfield oh, Mount Harmony. Yeah. And not, not only Go ahead that. And ask it. 
Oh, I have so many questions for you, but we can definitely talk about that right now if you want. So why why did you? Because because no, but before that, yeah. the pearl necklace is so interesting. Uh huh. Because a lot of us sometimes, because we don't know what we want, don't right. know what we pur- purpose, so we're actually just scared to take the next step. But right. actually. Taking the next step might be the right step. Yes. Or you could even break it down even further. Yeah. And say, what if it's just moment to moment? So what if this shower I'm taking is my pearl right now? Yeah. And what if this walk outside while the leaves are blooming? Yeah. Is my pearl. Yeah. Um, but go ahead. Because you, you never know what it might inspire you. And also these things all connect. They make who you are. And also like if you make a mistake, you know, then it's, yeah. Or if you do something and you don't like it, then then you know that you don't like it. But how do you know something you know from doing? Yeah, you do. And you, you, you do. learn and you yeah. course correct. Yeah. And you take those lessons. Mm-hmm. You can learn from other people's lessons, but you really learn from your Dude, own experience. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. You can incorporate what other people say, but you have to like put it out Feel there. It you, you never know how to do something by just you know, sitting there imagining. Yeah. Um, but connecting back, so you do a million things. Mm-hmm. Why did you end up here? One million, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think on a surface level... The reason, the answer to that question is about money and providing for myself. Mm-hmm. Not saying that I make a lot of money here <laughs> as an intern, <laughs> yeah. um, but more so that I have always had what I call a survival job. One mm. of those survival jobs was at Juilliard, okay, um, where I was a production management intern at hmm. age twenty nine. Hmm. Um, well, apprentice really. So I was working right next to the um, production manager of all of Juilliard's productions. Yeah. Wow. So that learning experience and that. That's insane. Putting, That's really good. Yeah, yeah. Having access to all of those Broadway directors and lighting designers and set designers that were also creating their work at Juilliard at that time. And I was in meetings with them and they were calling me up to know what the budget was and where we were at with things. So just. The experience was well worth it, but I will say I was getting paid minimum wage and I had to clean houses mm-hmm. on the um, Upper West Side mm-hmm. right around Juilliard mm-hmm. to make enough money to pay for my tiny apartment mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. Literally, hmm. like I could basically reach out and touch the walls <laughs> on all sides. No way. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Almost. Yeah. Huh. Very, very small space. Um uh-huh. And so, but I was doing that because I wanted access to those spaces. And, um, and, and so, but that was always my learning and my development Mm -hmm. and getting enough money just so that I could do the artwork on the side. And I should say it's artwork, but it's also justice work. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm an activist and I do think that um, it's super important to be, working towards um bringing more justice into this world and so those two parts of myself are very intertwined which connects back to the red thread yes um Mm -hmm. so but so i've always had what i call like a bifurcated life where Mm. i'm doing something for work but i'm doing my passion i call it my love work on the on true as a major thing that i'm doing um and so that's been very difficult for me Mm -hmm. um i faced a lot of 
poverty from that. <laughs> um, and so during the pandemic, I turned 40 and mm. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm like halfway through this whole like career working thing. And I think it's time for me to make this step towards a profession, quote unquote, <laughs> um, where I can just be paid a, a significant amount of money and, um, and then be able to do my work when I'm not at work. Like I'm currently writing a novel. So I want to be able to go to work, make enough money mm -hmm. and still have all of my time at home to be working on that project. So I decided to go to graduate school mm -hmm. for archives. Now, the red Why thread archives? for me, yeah. yeah, the red thread for me is these are stories. Mm -hmm. The There's the word story inside the word history. Mm -hmm. um, but archives in particular are made by people while they were living. Mm -hmm. And then they become significant over time and valuable to look back, like uh, to think about who went to this school and what became of them. Um, and all of their stories are kind of held and and um, curated in that archive setting. So for me, it still is about telling stories. And I like this term memory worker mm -hmm. that um, is part of the archives world. And it's like, who's keeping our stories? Mm -hmm. Who's preserving what has happened and mm -hmm. what is significant. I mean, it, they come out in, in books, you know, mm -hmm. and published things, but for those that didn't publish or didn't get their story told, their records and what they left behind, the evidence of their life tells a story. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and I've always loved libraries. Like I grew up um, as a homeschooled kid, mm -hmm. just my mom would take us to the public library and she'd be like, get books on every subject. Like that's how we did mm -hmm. school. Um, so I've always wanted to work in the library, but they, the, there's a barrier in that you have to have a master's degree often to be mm -hmm. able to do it. So I finally was like, okay, I have about half of my career left. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to get this master's. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a student again. Mm -hmm. I'm 42 now turning 43. I'm graduating in three weeks. I'll <laughs> have the degree. Mm -hmm. Um, but this internship and to be able to apprentice with, Peter Weiss, Mr. Mm. Weiss, who you have interviewed, mm -hmm. has been wonderful and very valuable. Mm. Um, but how do I end up in a, a tiny town, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, that relates to having done New York City living for most of my 20s. And it is so incredibly difficult on your system and on your body. Mm -hmm. um, that I am still recovering from that. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to come to a place where I could be in nature, where the pace of life was slowed down. Mm -hmm. And you can just focus on... On writing and and building, yeah, community spaces. Mm -hmm. um, but, but that might be a challenge, right? Because if you talk about building community and if you're here, yes, you don't is. get that much community here or, or there is do, but it's different mm -hmm. than a new york city environment mm -hmm. um so yes sorry i interrupted you but you mm -hmm. were going to say there is community oh yeah no there definitely is community but it's definitely very different because it's much smaller scale here and it's it's much smaller scale uh -huh. and that is something we just um 
Mr. Weiss and Alexis and I were at a conference today and they quoted Adrienne Marie Brown, who I know from Detroit. Um, do you know her as a writer? No. Okay, really. we're gonna Sorry. get you we're gonna get you LinkedIn. It's okay. But <laughs> she had a <laughs> she had a quote that said, Small is good, small is all. Mm-hmm. And we think of large scale as like absolute success. Mm-hmm. But what I have found in this small town and the relationships that I've been building and the fact that my neighbors have my cell phone number and mm-hmm. we're in touch with each other mm-hmm. and I work in the public library also. People see me in the little Mims Market town <laughs> grocery mm-hmm. store, yeah. you know, and recognize me. Mm-hmm. That to me is valuable to be known, to be recognized um, by the people in my daily life. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is also amazing about the world that we live in right now is mm-hmm. there's the digital realm. Yeah. So when you mentioned this thing, Mac for Eep, what the heck is that, right? Mm-hmm. This is something where I was alone in my tiny little cottage mm-hmm. with my dog as a graduate student mm-hmm. studying archives remotely because I go to... Um, U Albany, mm-hmm. which is the state school in New York. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I'm on my computer the whole time. Like I've never, I went to campus last weekend for the first time ever. Mm. Um, and so it's extremely isolating mm-hmm. and I don't have this class situation where I can talk to my peers and be in community. So mm-hmm. I was thinking how many other people are out there like that? Mm-hmm. And we're going to need support as we graduate. And as we start looking for work in archives, cause I hear it's hard to get a job in archives. Yeah. So I say, okay, I'm going to bring together a circle of people like a mutual aid circle. Have you mm-hmm. heard of mutual aid at all? Not really. Okay, it comes. It, there's a, a long history of it. Um, there used to be mutual aid societies mm-hmm. that would help immigrants who were coming from other countries to the United States kind of land and get acclimated. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, um, but eventually it's kind of morphed into like during the pandemic, there was a lot of mutual aid happening Mm -hmm. where people were isolated in their homes, but they would get into these communities that would help each other. They would go grocery shopping for each other. It's reciprocal support. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do something called Mac for Eep, which is a mutual aid circle Mm -hmm. for emerging archival professionals. So those Mm -hmm. who are coming into the field. And I'm like, I'll just get five to eight people together. We can um, do some co-working. We can look at each other's resumes, stuff like that. Yeah. But it was a little counterintuitive because these are going to be the people that hypothetically I'm uh, com- competing with, mm-hmm. right? Out in the field. We're going to maybe true, be looking true. for the same jobs. So I'm like, mm, should I? Anyway, I just put it out there. And then it caught like wildfire. Really? And... Eventually, a hundred people now wow. are in that circle. That's crazy. And we're all helping each other. We're all like passing along job <laughs> announcements. Um, uh, Victoria upstairs, who is one of the reference librarians on duty right now, yeah. <laughs> she was on the list and we really? had a job that came open. I posted it to the list. She answered and she got hired here because of that circle that really? she joined. Yeah. That's so yeah, cool. Yeah, so we have that connection. But I see this as 
it's just something I started. I did not mean for it to get this big. It's like a whole job in its of itself. (laughs) Um, But I see it in the tradition of Red Thread where I'm bringing people together. I'm saying all are welcome here. What's your story? This is my story. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to get through this incredibly difficult job search process? How are we going to make sure we're well, that, um, you know, we have the endurance to -hmm. make it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it just so happens that with the digital environment, that is possible at there are people all over the country, right? So I might be in this very small town, Mm -hmm. but here I did connected these people from three, four different time zones that get together regularly that support each other in our schoolwork and in our job searching. Yeah, that's a very interesting point that you brought up how powerful technology is nowadays. And for example, LinkedIn, this app is very interesting. I mean, I've only been getting into this app for a month or so, but it has been very rewarding experience. I've already reached out to like some alumni and uh, from our school i'm connecting people at usc or like just connecting with which people which is where you're going which is where i'm going also connecting congratulations with, thank you very, very <laughs> much which which i would never expect you know mm. it's it, i think that's a power of technology and especially with um with like these networks where you can find people of similar passions and yes. similar similar interests i think that's really important because you can really you know, find like experts and pr- professionals in, in, in that f- in, in, in that field and you can connect. And I think the power of technology allows us to connect with people all around the world. So it doesn't have to be. So like at times, you know, where we may feel lonely at currently where we are, it may be just because we're not with the right people. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. Can, and if you think about that as a net underneath right Mm -hmm. and all of those connections are a web of people this is a social media yeah project right Mm -hmm. um but those are creating links between all of the people and the relationships yeah and um but then you add technology and you can sort by different topics Mm -hmm. or um sort by what school you went to yeah um what kind of job you're looking for um, so for me, that is a wonderful resource. And it also links a little bit to my ideas about digital archiving mm-hmm. and, and using that technology to, um, to think about what records we have that may have been hidden away in boxes mm-hmm. for their entire existence. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe Mr. Weiss knows where they are, mm-hmm. but if somebody else is trying to um, find certain information, it might not be available to them. Mm-hmm. Um, just like if you're trying to find someone um, across the country in California, the new school that you're going to, yeah. you might not be able to find them if LinkedIn hadn't been there as a platform to, certain and searchable where you can discover those people and you can have a pathway to them. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about digital archives, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about using technology like scanning newspapers and, and making all of those words discoverable Mm -hmm. with a keyword search. Right. Mm -hmm. And so then you have a direct access point. You have a pathway to certain subject areas 
um, back, way back in history. And mm-hmm. you can read a newspaper article about a very specific word or thing that you're looking for mm-hmm. that's con- going to contribute to the research that you're doing mm-hmm. or to the story that you're trying to uncover and excavate from the past mm-hmm. and bring to the future. So in the same way that... Um, those red threads are going between people on LinkedIn. Mm. I'm trying to think about putting all of those red threads between information mm. and and linking data mm. and um, resources mm-hmm. and especially archival resources, which are our history and mm-hmm. are very personal and often even intimate in the stories that they're talking about um, from somebody's personal papers or, or letters that they were writing. Um, but soon in 50 years or so, those are going to be emails that people mm-hmm. are looking through because mm-hmm. we're not writing letters anymore. We're writing emails. Yeah. So how are we, how are we thinking about archiving our email correspondence, our text correspondence? Um, and, and what will that, how we will make that available to, um, to researchers in 50 or 100 years. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about in terms of the digital archiving piece. That's, well, yeah, that's that's very interesting and very unique perspective that you brought up. And I'm actually curious because you did, you do mention that you like to connect people and you like to connect mm-hmm. community and you mm-hmm. like to build community. And um, archive just seems like a pretty different thing than mm. connecting people in some i mean i can see the double connection mm-hmm. but then there is not that the immediate connection so was it a hard transition for you to sort of transition from like a connecting people thing to like a connecting data um i think i think that uh other people had a harder time seeing mm-hmm. the connection than i did um because I think that when I read a book, I often want to write a letter to the person that wrote that book. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't see it as an object. I see it as like a living documentation of relationship. Mm-hmm. Those, all of those characters have relationship to each other, but the author took the time to bring that world to mm-hmm. life. And if it's nonfiction, maybe they're writing about their own story. Um, so I, that to me, that's, those are books, but that's also data. That's also information. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but if you translate it over to, um, the archive side of things, it feels even more connected to real people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of these emails that I'm talking about, those are written by someone to someone, Right. Think about all the times you write emails. Mm-hmm. Those are part of who you are. Yeah. They're telling your story. Yeah. And and someone in a hundred years, when you're famous, is yeah. going to be looking through your emails going, Oh, good, we got this one when he was eighteen. <laughs> That's you. Yeah, true. As a person. True. And they're connecting it to all of the billions of people that want to know about your story in a hundred years. Right? That's true. It's like connecting the present and the future. Yeah. And yeah. I and there are people behind that data. Um, mm-hmm. And, and their, their information about the lives that they lived. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. 
Um, and now I kind of want to shift gears and ask you a little bit about the truth school that you sort ah, of teach. Yeah. Gene geneal genealogy. genealogy. That's so right. what is genealogy and why do you teach it? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so let me tell you, the Sojourner Truth School um, was founded by Andrea. I'm not going to remember her last name, but she's a minister in this area in Western Massachusetts. And Sojourner Truth... Um, if you don't know her story, I really recommend that you look it up. She was a slave uh -huh. um, that was freed and then began touring during the abolitionist movement um, to tell her own story and to say why slavery needed to be abolished. Okay. And so the school is in her honor, but it's about teaching um, grassroots movement people and activists Mm -hmm. about the skills that they need um, to do that kind of change work. Mm -hmm. And so I pitched an idea to Andrea saying, um, I would like to teach something about ancestors. I called it ancestor wisdom, wounds, gifts, and legacy. Um, and and then actually um, joined with my friend Ebony LeBru Cohn, and we co-taught this together. Um, and... What our idea, so to answer your question, genealogy is the study of, let me see if I can get this right, of family history. So when you create a family tree, have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Yeah. So you're basically going back and back and back to name all of your ancestors mm -hmm. and to show the generations that you come from. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a very... Um, popular hobby. Mm -hmm. A lot of people do it after they retire. Mm -hmm. Some people get into it very early. They're very curious about where they come from and who mm -hmm. their people are. Mm -hmm. um, and what Ebony and I were hoping to do was to think about what gifts have we been given mm -hmm. in terms of, for me, I'm white and there's a lot of privilege that comes with that. Mm -hmm. um, and so kind of what does that, um, how has that come through my, my family line mm -hmm. and, um, and kind of situate that with then the wounding that has happened in mm. different trauma experiences that my family line has also experienced and mm -hmm. carries and lives inside of me, mm -hmm. um, because I've inherited that mm -hmm. legacy. Mm -hmm. Um, and to kind of sort through all of that to understand in a similar way that we were talking about before, how yeah. the past is influencing not only the present, but will influence the future mm -hmm. unless we understand it and sometimes heal from it. Yeah. Um, understand if we have inherited privilege, what that means for other people that have been oppressed by that same thing that gives us privilege Mm -hmm. and how we need to reconcile or make amends for some of the things that have happened over those generations. So we were really helping people say, these are the tools mm -hmm. uh, like ancestry.com or going to your, um, to the place where your grandmother was born mm -hmm. and looking in the cemetery there to try to find a grave or some other information that might be who she was related to. They might be buried around her. Mm -hmm. you know, or going to archives, like a kind of local history collection at the public library where your um, 
where your great grandfather lived or something like that. So they're giving them resources, but then also talking about situating our, what we know about our ancestors in the past and thinking about what were they dealing with and what were some of the power dynamics? Mm -hmm. Um, What was happening with certain immigration movements at the time? Mm -hmm. Um, What was happening with certain racial terrorism at the time? If you think about like the KKK and our history's, uh, our country's history, um, was my ancestor participating in those kind of terrorist activities Mm -hmm. on the white supremacist Mm -hmm. side of things? Maybe that mm. it wouldn't necessarily be a story that they told or that they were proud of. Mm-hmm. But as I dig back and uncover some of that stuff, um, it just it makes you think. And then, um, and then to acknowledge that and to say, what does that mean in this moment? Mm-hmm. And how can we heal from some of the harm that's done? How can we make repair mm-hmm. or reparations to? somebody whose ancestors and whose family line has been significantly harmed by some of those actions Mm. and just recognizing that all of these histories are intertwined, but we don't necessarily know them. And we're often so cut off from, by from them. Mm -hmm. So Ebony and I were trying to create a space where we could explore that and hear people's stories and just think about how we could um, provide tools and encourage people to really look back and do some serious thinking about what is back there in our ancestral lines. That's very interesting because you do call it ancestor wisdom, the truth Mm -hmm. school. And you're sort of, so you, you discover truth by searching backwards and searching through ancestry. And that's actually very interesting. I, I, that's a very unique and distinct approach. I, I would say, because um, I mean, I've never heard of it or I've never done that before. Yeah. It's, I've, I've definitely like, for example, I would look at, you know, my culture history. I would yeah. look at country's history. Yeah. I would look at, you know, like war history, something like that, but I wouldn't necessarily like search through my ancestry yes. and see what is my star yes. and that, but then that's actually, um, an important story to, t- to know. Yeah. And to tell. So part of what red thread is, is telling one's own story, but I'm extending it a little further and I'm saying our stories are also about our ancestors. Mm. It's not just start here. All of those stories are yeah. accumulating and they get passed through the genetics of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that um yeah, cuz it's all connected and I mean, is that what you're working on your novel? Is is that what your novel is about or it, Yeah, that's a good question. Um <laughs> Um yeah, I feel like now I Now we're threading all the pearls together. That's <laughs> right. We're getting a beautiful necklace here. Um <laughs> I can't say too much about what it is about, but yeah, I am looking at um both family lines, and I am doing a ton of um, history, family history work and research on my own. Um, but I'm doing it in a way that's fictionalizing the exact stories. So it's kind of taking the lessons um, without making it about the actual people. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, you know, um, some of the dynamics like, um, 
Scottish ancestors that were coming over, Irish yeah. ancestors, the yeah. way they're meeting each other, what the context of their worlds were at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and then how that feeds forward through the generations. And so it, it will be kind of jumping around time zones or uh, time periods, and um, but really focusing on two people who meet and fall in love in the present day or the, the near yeah. past. Because on the point of, we've talked a lot about storytelling today mm -hmm. and then also about how powerful stories are and you're working on your novels. I'm curious, what do you think is, how, how can one tell a good story? Mm. <laughs> That's a hard question. Yeah. Well, there are so many, like, Aspects so many to. people's um, like authors who wrote about writing and who have like kind of writing manuals come to mind. But yeah. really, I think we all know how to tell stories. Mm -hmm. um, we do it all the time. Yeah. And and we watch them. We consume them all the time. We read yeah. them. Um, so intuitively, we know um, but ask the question again. How to tell a good story? So before I wrote the novel, I wrote a play, a full length play. Mm -hmm. And, um, and one of my teachers, um, it's a, a remote situation or mm -hmm. I, I did take with him in person in New York city. Mm -hmm. Um, but he coaches screenwriters. Mm -hmm. And one thing that stands out to me that he talks about is um, it's kind of a zigzag. It's often an, the plot line goes up and then it goes down. Then it goes up again and down. So in life, we're like, oh, yeah, I had a win. I had a good thing happen. But in order for that to be a good story you're then going to have to take two steps backward mm -hmm. and you're going to have to face obstacles that and failure that push you back. Mm -hmm. But that is going to really show who you are and bring out your character mm -hmm. when you face those obstacles and you're going to get through them. You're going to break through and you're going to go up again to mm -hmm. a success. Mm -hmm. But what storytelling does is it kind of compresses all of that all of those life experiences. And it just takes you from uh, something that's happening. And then right at the end of the story, there's a turn. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's a good thing happening. And then it turns to the mm -hmm. bad thing. And then we, we have the scene that's like, Oh, this such the, the, <laughs> the poor protagonist is like facing such hardship right now. And everyone's rooting for that protagonist, you know, like you can do it. Mm -hmm. And then they have a success. And so it kind of, um, it builds, and the dramatic tension builds into mm -hmm. a final climax where that's mm -hmm. often when the protagonist is, it reaches their full potential or mm -hmm. has like a major breakthrough that comes with a lesson. Yeah. And, and then you kind of have the soft ending where everyone can just kind of feel mm -hmm. how important that is and how, um, that that same teacher, um, Robert McGee is his name, talks about story, um, the ending of a story being like a fist mm -hmm. wrapped in velvet. Mm. So it, there's like a powerful insight 
mm-hmm. that could like knock you out or mm-hmm. blow your mind, mm-hmm. you know, a big idea, mm-hmm. but it's wrapped in emotion mm-hmm. and it's wrapped in softness that just like opens your heart mm. and lets it kind of marinate and sink in. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so then I, I do think that stories are like tools that you use. And so when someone tells a good story, it opens your heart and it makes you feel like, yeah, I could, I, first of all, I can get through this hard thing that I'm going through mm-hmm. and I can, I can use this to, um, to push me to self-realization or becoming mm-hmm. the best version of myself that I can be. That's very well put. <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. I've never heard about the the punch uh-huh. inside velvet. <laughs> that's very cool to hear. Um, and that's more for like a longer version. Like if you're talking about like a novel, like yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like uh, like the up and down the emotion, and you can really feel it, and at the end you feel that power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fuel. What if it's just really quick? Uh-huh. For example, if you're trying to sit down and have a conversation or you're just trying to tell your story in the red thread or uh-huh. if it's a real quick story how do you how do you tell a good story about yourself yeah i still think that there's a reveal at mm. the end you know and you're kind of like this thing happened to me mm. and then guess what i i did this thing and then i was like oh my god i'm never gonna be able to do this thing. you know there's still kind of like dramatic tension yeah. is often a tool that people use like you you hold back important pieces that are part of that big reveal at yeah. the end and then you you drop them in and then once the big reveal happens you can look back on all the things you said and like thread together all these parts that didn't yeah. really make sense until you know the ending of the story yeah so i think there are ways that we do it intuitively um it's a little hard to describe in like abstract form yeah um but again people have been doing this for ages like a grandson is sitting on his grandma's lap and she's telling him a story you Mm -hmm. know about her life or about when um his mom was a kid Mm -hmm. they're just it's um it's how our brain processes what's happening to us and how we share our inner worlds with the people around us Mm. exactly and stories can have the power of of generating these connections it's emotions yeah like when you tell your story i can put myself in your situation yeah and i can put myself in your shoes and i can sort of see the world from your perspective yeah that's and i'm gonna put myself in your shoes and ask you a question Mm -hmm. because you listen to all these stories on this podcast what do you think makes a good story what or, do I think? Yeah, or how do you know? How do you recognize it when it is a good story? I'm, flip, I'm good flipping the story. Script. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, did not expect the kickback. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. I think a good story has, first of all, it has a meaning to it. Mm-hmm. Has a purpose, intent to it. Mm-hmm. You know, if 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 someone tells a story that is just. You know, oh, yeah, I woke up today and I ate two eggs and yep. then I just walked down to like, yeah, what's what are you trying to go? Yeah. So a good story always have intention mm-hmm. and the intention usually is one like simple, specific and clear. Mm-hmm. 
and that could be channeled with it. The second part of a good story is good story has a lot of emotions and details. Details that it's yeah. clear, so you can see it. So you can see it. You can mm-hmm. feel it when you hear the story. You can put put yourself in that shoe. Um, and I think the third part of a good story is is that. It's engaging throughout. Mm-hmm. You know, when 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 you're telling, when when someone is telling a story, a good storyteller mm-hmm. can keep a story engaging. So you're willing to more. Yes. That's the curiosity part, where you, it, it lures you in. Yeah, and that's um, that's a contract that you sign up to the person who's listening. Mm. You're like, if you stay with me, if you pay attention, yeah, there's going to be a payoff at the end. Yeah. And, and that's that, yeah. And some people are better at at choosing those moments and really building it to mm-hmm. the reveal than others. Yeah. Um and some people they they just need to tell you like what they ate for breakfast and they need someone to listen and that's okay too. That's okay too, yeah, <laughs> definitely. And see, I'm never I don't I don't ever consider myself as a great storyteller. I don't mm. cuz I don't um, well, I, I say like how to tell a good story, but I don't really okay. embed that in, in, in myself. Okay, in well, sense. I'm just gonna have to interrupt that thought mm. because, um, yeah, the way you just described it mm. shows that I you can, know it. I can, exp- yeah. But you do it mm-hmm. as, as it's almost like with this podcasting, you become the director mm-hmm. who is taking whatever the raw material is Mm-hmm. and giving shape to it mm. by asking the questions you're drawing out the story you're guiding that person mm. and so i think you have a very good intuitive sense of what story is and i can imagine you're mm-hmm. doing communications mm-hmm. i can imagine a lot of story in your future and you're going to california mm. Mm. yeah yeah and i have to probably keep a journal to keep all the stories 100 percent. you better be writing down every <laughs> big idea that you're having better be and um, what you ate for breakfast just in case for breakfast just in case important. indeed <laughs> that's today has been a wonderful <laughs> experience with you did you have a good time i here? had a really uh, good time yeah so i think you. it is time for the final three. Oh my gosh here we go here we go oh. the f- classic final i'm three. not ready <laughs> first question for you what do you think the bigger picture of life is i think the bigger picture in other words what do you think the meaning of life is the meaning of life um yeah i think it has to do with whether or not we're able to do what we are here on this earth to do. Mm-hmm. And not just when I say we, I don't just mean one person. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, encouraging everyone around us to live in that way. Mm-hmm. And for those that are in situations mm-hmm. where they are significantly limited by their access to be who they truly are and can be in this world Mm. due to resources or war Mm. or, um, you know, being imprisoned Mm. that collectively we 
work mm -hmm. towards bringing more justice and equality mm -hmm. so that everyone can have the opportunity to be, to become their biggest, fullest, most realized self in this world. Wow. Well said. Thank well you. said. Um, <laughs> second question for you. Okay. What are some non-negotiable values that you have in your life? Um, again, I think I'm going to go towards justice. Mm -hmm. um, Martin Luther King says the arc of history bends towards justice. Mm -hmm. And I think that's only if people fight for it are pushing that arc um there are plenty of forces that will push the other way so that power remains consolidated so that wealth remains in the hands of a few mm -hmm. and so the people who they think of as disposable mm -hmm. don't interfere with mm -hmm. their lives yeah and so a non-negotiable thing for me is that I will always, have been for a long time, and I will for the rest of my life, be working to end white supremacy in this world. Um, that is a central guiding value mm -hmm. in my life as a white person in America. Mm -hmm. um, and so I bring that into everything I do. And I really want to focus on amplifying narratives that um, tell a different story, talk about um, that, talk about equality and the beauty and the value of every single person, and especially of people that have been excluded. Mm -hmm. from this horrible yeah. lie and myth of white supremacy. But it's a, it's a lie and a myth that has an incredible amount of power in this world. Mm -hmm. And so a non-negotiable for me, value for me, is that um, I will ever take my gaze off of that fight and that yeah. struggle. Love it. Thank you. Last question. <laughs> Last question for you. If there's one thing you can say to a younger version of yourself, what would it be? Um, that you are so beautiful. <laughs> exactly how you are. Um, I haven't mentioned this, but I identify as queer. Mm -hmm. And I am from a very religious background. Mm -hmm. And so parts of myself have had to be excluded mm -hmm. and um, edited out mm -hmm. for other people's sake. Mm -hmm. And it's taken me so many years of unlearning to be able to see that those are not those parts of myself that other people are ashamed of or that think I should be ashamed of are not... Um, What's the opposite of an asset? A deficit, mm. right? Are not something to hide or to get rid of. Mm -hmm. They're actually an asset and an incredible perspective mm -hmm. that I bring to the world. 
and should be celebrated yeah. by each, me first, each by, yeah. by my sense of self-love mm-hmm. and then bring that to other spaces that I'm in. And um, if they are seen as something that need to be get, gotten rid of, to really become an advocate for myself and make demands on the spaces around me mm-hmm. that they are seen as um, as positive parts of who I am and what I bring to the community and to this culture. So mm. I would say to myself, you're beautiful. Hmm. Your soul is fully intact mm-hmm. and who it is supposed to be in this world. Yeah. So just live into that mm-hmm. and um, other yeah. people are just going to have to get used to it and start to celebrate it along with you once they uh, grow and heal enough and to do the so. uniqueness of you. Yeah. That's perfect. There you go. Well, thank you so much for coming today. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Janet. You are a um, journey. You are a master of this at a young age. And I'm so just curious. That's I appreciate you. And um, I really thank you for all of your listening and witnessing that you're doing, especially for inviting me to tell my story. And I love it. Love it. Thank you for coming today. And for listeners, thank you all so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.